0: It's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and worship of the angels taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have hope in Christ, that he is the ultimate judge of all things. That we can come before you and know that we have eternal life in him. I pray, Lord, that that would be evident today as we hear your word. I pray we would know the truth and, Lord, that you would set us free from all the devil would try to bring against us. We thank you for this. We ask, Lord, that the children would be able to hear your words this morning. Pray that we would be able to hear your words. That we, in our hearts and minds, would be... Encouraged and strengthened and convicted. We praise you and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you turn back to Colossians chapter 2 as we're there. This morning's message is is titled, Disqualifying Legalism. Disqualifying Legalism. The Apostle Paul ended last week speaking of the victory we have in Christ. Again, the theme of chapter 2 would be in him. If we want to grasp what Paul is trying to say, everything we need is in Christ. Not man's man-made religion, not man-made laws and um, ordinances. But in Christ, we have victory because we have been brought in to fellowship with God through the blood of Christ on the cross. He nailed our sins to the cross. The debt we owed, everything that made us hostile to God has been taken care of. And it's because of that that this week's message is, Finds truth. If we can't grasp that, if we can't grasp the fact that we are found in Christ clean, pure, holy, set apart for his great name, then we won't understand what Paul is about to say. Because he starts verse 16 with, therefore. And as we all, those of us who listen to Mr. Hamilton, remember, What's there for? (laughs) Right? It's there because he's saying because Christ was raised from the dead and he has triumphed over the the rulers and authorities of this world, we can say what he's about to say. He says, therefore, no one is to be your judge. Now, is he saying completely? Completely? No, he actually gives us a specification right here. He says, in regard to food or drink. In regard to food or drink. And I think that is something that oftentimes we want to do. Well, that person's eating that food. That that can't be good for them. Of course... In the Colossian context, and even in other letters that Paul was writing to uh, Galatia, for example, the people were being held to Jewish tradition. But what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying here, is not that we um, are not to be judges, in a, in a particular sense, but specifically in regards to this, because Christ is the judge. We are not the judge. It is between him and the Lord. Now, let me ask you this: well, what if somebody's getting drunk? Well, that's a different story, because the Bible is clear about drunkenness. But I was having a conversation this week and I was thinking about the Old Testament and particular stories where wine is mentioned in the Old Testament. Because <laughs> many people want to say, and I, I know I've already given you my conviction about why I don't drink, but I don't think it's necessarily completely prohibited. I, mean, I know that may not be popular in our circles, but I have a conviction I don't want to cause my brother to stumble, though I feel as a believer We have freedom. I don't want to use my freedom as a stumbling block for others. But if you look in the Old Testament, you see obvious abuse of alcohol. Noah. I mean, that's right after the flood. (laughs) His sons find him completely disrobed in his tent. Why? Because he drank too much wine or think of Lot's daughters. I mean that's you got to be pretty drunk. No not to be offensive about it but we see what happens when drunkenness happens. And God has always made a picture of that to show us what is not right. But what Paul is saying here is what you eat and what you drink is not a reason for judgment. The particular act of drinking something or eating something. Right? Because when Peter was given the vision, remember the vision of Peter when he, before he went to the house of Cornelius? He's, he sees this sheet coming down, and on the sheet are all these animals he's not supposed to eat. And what does Jesus say to him? Eat. Eat. Don't call unclean what I've made clean. And so, Paul is telling them, Hey, this idea that you can't eat a particular food or drink a particular drink is not of of me. This This is something else. But he doesn't just deal with food and drink. It's interesting... Just here in verse 16, we can get rid of Seventh day at Venice, um, many legalistic church denominations, just right here. <laughs> because he goes on to say, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, does that mean that the principle of the Sabbath doesn't isn't helpful? I, don't, I, I think it is, because you look in the example of Jesus walking through the fields with His disciples in Mark chapter 2, or it might actually be ch- chapter 3, and they're picking corn, and, and the Pharisees say, Oh, look at your disciples, they're, they're awful. What are they doing picking corn on the Sabbath? What does Jesus say? He says, The Sabbath was made for man. Why? What, what is the principle of the Sabbath for us today? I believe the Sabbath is a day in which we show God our trust in Him by refraining from work. Not that we don't do things around the house, but we seek to rest in Him. That was the whole idea of the Sabbath is that that day is a day set aside to rest in Christ. To rest in Him. Not not to exert ourselves physically, say, for business. But to say, Lord, I don't need seven days a week to be provided for because I'm trusting in You. I really do believe that that is the New Testament principle of the Sabbath. Now, there's... Obviously, there's levels of how people view the Sabbath, and I'm not going to... You know, we, we treat the Lord's Day as Sabbath. But that doesn't mean that I don't do things that others may find, oh, that's not very Sabbath-like. I do physical activity on, this, on Sunday. You know why? Because I've been sitting... For a day or two, and my body says, You've got to you've got to move. But my my rest is in Christ. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so concerned about providing for my family that I can't spend time just relaxing and resting. Or festivals. What about festivals? You know, well, you, you I can't believe you don't celebrate that. Well, that's what he's saying. You know, he might be referring specifically to um even Jewish festivals. The Feast of Booze or um, the by this time Hanukkah actually would have been celebrated. Or who knows who knows what days um, were popular to be you know, you, need to, you have to celebrate these days. Well, Paul is saying, no, it doesn't make a difference in respect to festivals and, and new moons. So there's lots of festivals and, and days that are related to the new moon. But Paul is saying, we are not to, to act as judge. Why? Why would that be? Because they're just shadows. They're just shadows. Verse 17. Things which are a mere shadow. Technically, mere is not in this text, but it's obvious from the context that's what Paul's saying. And I, I love this picture because think about this. Jesus is coming. The Son is behind him and there's a shadow cast before him. That's kind of what we get with what Paul is saying. These things are just pointing to Christ's coming. That's why they're no longer a requirement. Now, do I totally understand why certain meats were pointing to Christ? No. (laughs) I'm not going to say that. But a rest in, in God, that Sabbath is, is pointing to Christ. These festivals are pointing to Christ. What we eat and drink was pointing to Christ, a purity right this that's the only way that I can understand it is these days pointed to the purity which would be found in Christ. To my knowledge, Christ never ate pork. Your Messiah never had bacon. Our Savior. I, mean, I don't know what he ate after he was resurrected. You know, Maybe he did have some pork. I don't know. But he, from the day of his birth to his death, he perfectly kept the law. He was pure and holy, spotless before God. This, our Savior, He was the substance, as the NASB says, right? He says, it, those were a mere shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. This word translated substance is the word body in Greek. This is why I don't think Paul is using this example willy-nilly. He is showing, look, there's a shadow being cast, and guess what? It's really showing that Jesus was coming. This was all pointing to the need for Jesus Christ, because without Jesus, we cannot be purified. We cannot be holy. He was the fulfillment of the law. He was the reality of the law. I can't think of anything more incredible. He fulfilled the law. Do we see that he is the reality? Do Because that's... That's the the issue that many people don't realize is he is the reality. He is the complete fulfillment of the law. All the Old Testament law was fulfilled in Christ. Does that mean that thou shalt not lie does not apply to us anymore? No. But Paul is specifically addressing food and drink, festivals... New moons and Sabbath in this particular case. And I, I, I have to believe that there was an emphasis by the false teachers on these things. Well, if you were a true Christian, you wouldn't eat that, or you wouldn't drink that, or or you wouldn't celebrate, or you would celebrate this holiday. Or you, you wouldn't um, do this, you would do this new moon festival, or or you would be strict about Sabbath, or maybe you'd throw it all completely off. My guess is that they would lean towards legalism because of what the next chapter says. But Christ is the reality. He is the substance. He is the... Completion. He is the body that is casting the shadow. All these things were foreshadowing the coming of Christ. That's why Paul can say, no, you can't judge in that respect. It is God alone. Christ who is judge. It's interesting, in this passage that we're reading today, Christ is judge, and then we're going to see that Christ is kind of like an umpire. He is judge and He is umpire. Do we see that Christ truly is the reality that we need? Are we running after shadows looking for the Messiah. Because that's... I mean, any of us who have encountered people from a legalistic, either cult or even denominational church, can run into these issues. Why, why is their religion dead? It's because they're chasing the shadows and they're not chasing Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the same can happen in our lives. Why do we do what we do? It's a great question we need to ask ourselves. Am I doing it because I'm chasing Jesus, because I love Him and I I want to serve Him with all my life, or am I doing it because I want Jack and Jill and um, -and so-and-so to like and accept the way that I live? Because that's the problem that the people at Colossae are dealing with, they are more concerned with these, what these false teachers think is right than what God has said that is right. They're going after another love. So Christ is judge, but He's also the umpire probably thinking, why in the world is there a baseball slide up here? <laughs> well, it's an analogy, because this is a real game. If you, were, if you were living in 1999 and you were a Red Sox fan, you remember this game. I'm not a Red Sox fan, just so you know. But in 1999, this game is a prime example of being disqualified unjustly. In this game, the the second baseman caught the ball and this is the tag. <laughs> At second, and guess what? He threw it to first for a double play. As you can imagine, the the Red Sox were not happy about this play. Did did he touch the other player? Do we all know enough about baseball to know that this is not a tag? This is not a tag. Now, I'm sure the Red Sox fan thought that they had hired someone who wasn't an umpire to come and call this play. Because guess what? This play led to the loss of this game and the loss of this series. And because of that, the Yankees went to the World Series and not the Red Sox. They call this the phantom tag. (laughs) But I want to use this analogy for us to think through what Paul is saying here in verse 18. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels. Let no one keep defrauding you. These both are commands. So verse 18 verse 16, when he says, let no one act as your judge, that's a command. That's an imperative word. And then here in verse 18, it says, let no one keep defrauding you. They don't have a right. This word defraud is a word that is used to describe the work of an umpire. So this analogy somewhat works. But the problem is, What is actually going on here? Who is defrauding the people in Colossae? Is it God the Father? Is it Christ? No, who is it? False teachers. They're people parading as umpires. They're acting like they're umpires. Because they're like the Pharisees. Matthew 23:13 says, "But woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in." I believe that Paul was specifically thinking about this passage. It is so clear to me This is such a a strong example of what is going on. These false teachers are coming in as though they're the authority. As though they have the power to judge and to umpire. And what are they trying to defraud them of? What does it say? Of your prize of your prize what what is the victor's prize eternal life the kingdom of heaven they're trying to rob them of the kingdom of heaven but they're not even umpires I'm sure there were people in the, fan, in, the, in the fan section of this ball game that I have displayed that thought, man, if I was on the field, I could have actually made that call, right? <laughs> like, I, I've got two eyes at work. I could I make that call. The difference between this story and the, tr- the story of, of the church is Christ is the umpire. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved is appearing this passage right here refutes what these defrauding false umpires are doing in Colossae. they're saying we have the keys to the kingdom you have to go through us if there if you ever meet somebody who that vibe comes off to you be very very careful if there's a person who thinks that you have to, to live according to their exact way and you don't find that in in line with God's Word, I'm not saying that there are people who have strong convictions and it comes off as very uh, you can do it my way or the highway. I was that way even younger. <laughs> but as as we mature in, in, in Christ, we realize we're not the judge. It is Christ alone. That, that doesn't mean that in the church we shouldn't address sin, because Paul and Jesus both talk about that. But as at the end, we will stand before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ. He is the umpire. He is the one who says, You win. Here's the prize, you know, in the in the in the old Olympic Games before they put clothes on, way back when? They gave them a wreath they put on their head. I think that's what Paul is kind of kind of pointing towards. The people at Colossae were running well. They were victorious. They were running the victorious race and these guys are coming along and they're trying to trip them. Oh, look, look, you crossed that line so now you're out of the race. Or you, you stepped on the out-of-bounds line in basketball. Or look, the, the soccer ball went out-of-bounds before you hit the goal. When none of those things are true. They're trying to make their own rules So that you live according to their convictions. I can teach you what I believe. But if I begin to make you do what I believe, that's not biblical. Now, I can address sin. We can come to you and say, you're living this way. You you can't live with so-and-so outside of marriage. You can't. Act like this. And you have to decide. I can't put you in jail and and wait till you decide to live that way and then let you out. As Christians, there's the balance between guiding and and correcting. But eventually it has to be the will of us. Because it's interesting here in this, this verse... That, where it says, "Let no one keep defrauding you," that he is actually addressing an issue that I'm trying to figure out how to how to express this of desire, their own desire, right? These, it, it's not they're not seeking to change your heart. They're seeking to get you to do what they want you to do. To live according to their will and their desire. You know, just do it. Don't, don't ask any questions. Joel, what does this sound like? <laughs> you you might have sent me something like this about this like, this week. <laughs> the Branamites are very, very much so like this. You know, it's our way or the highway. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Run, brothers and sisters. We need to run. Don't let the world... This is so popular on Facebook. I just want the world to see how christian we are and how accepting we are that is worthless i'm not saying we should uh, uh, purposely offend people with our words we shouldn't seek to offend people but we should not be afraid of what the world says about whether or not you're a christian they're not believers how in the world would they know what a true believer is Oh, a true believer would never stand against homosexuality and the happiness of others. No, they would. A true believer would let me live with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. It's all about how how I feel. Right? That's That's how the world wants us to run the race. But God is saying, heed my word. Heed my voice, do what I desire for you, not what these false teachers who are claiming to be Christians say. Run the race. But that's not enough. I'm making sure you, you see the full picture in Philippians chapter three, verse thirteen and fourteen. Paul says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. What's he saying? He's saying, I haven't finished the race yet. I've still got somewhere to go. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is is seeking to find here in Colossae. Saying don't don't let them rob you of the prize that belongs to you because you're in Christ. Because that's what defrauding is. It's taking what belongs to you rightly and saying you don't deserve that. If we are in Christ, we justly deserve God's well done. Not because... We're perfect. But because we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, we have turned from our sin, and we are living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let people defraud you with their legalism, man-made religion. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. What's interesting as he as he goes on with this, he says, by delighting in self-abasement. This word self-abasement is actually the word humility. It is the only time in the New Testament that Paul Paul or any writer of the New Testament uses the word humility in a negative tone. They're feigning as though they're humble. Oh, look at me. I'm humble. I pray ten times a day. Right? Like the, like the, the Pharisee in the temple. He thinks he's so humble. His, his prayers are so humble. But it's the publican who is actually humble because he doesn't know it. J.B. Lightfoot says this, he says, Humility, when it becomes self-conscious, ceases to have any value. And self-consciousness, at least, if not affection, is implied by delights in this humility. Isn't that interesting? When we think we're humble, guess what? That's a sign we're not We put so much value on humility, sometimes, that we we try to be humble, and when we think we have achieved, that's when we're not. Humility is when we we don't realize that we're humble. It is something that God gives. But these people, they're saying, well, humble yourselves. not in, not in a good way, because the Bible tells us to humble ourselves under the hand of God. But these people are, are trying to, to make their life out as though they are humble. Why? Because they want others to look at them and be like, Oh, look how pious they are. Oh, they're a saint. Guess what? You're a saint if you're in Christ. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be humbled. Because guess what? If we are not humbling ourselves through the power of Christ in us, we will be humiliated until God gets our attention. Right? Pride goeth before destruction. Pride goeth before humiliation. We could just translate destruction. Humiliation. And one way that these false teachers are are showing how humble they are is by worshiping angels. You say, well, how does that work? Well, this humility is demonstrated in worshiping angels. That is, they are too humble to approach God directly. They are humble enough to approach God through angels. You see... How that works? Well, we're we're too too finite to approach the infinite. So we're going to approach the infinite through angels. And to be honest, this makes me think a lot about saints and prayer to saints as well. Why do we need an intermediary? Christ said, come before the throne of grace. Not the throne of XYZ saint. Humility realizes that we can come through the throne of grace not because we're something, but because we're in Christ. Because He's the judge. He's the umpire. And He said, come! You know what pride is? Pride is thinking that you can't go any way but the one you want because what you think and what you desire matters. Sorry, I feel like I'm yelling and I apologize. But that's what happens, right? When we say, well, that may be the way Jesus said to do it, but I'm going to go a different way because I just don't think that that's right. That is pride. Pride. We are in Christ and therefore we can come boldly through the throne of grace. We can worship God directly. That is why the the curtain was torn to signify our entrance into the presence of the Most High God. And when we shun the fact that Jesus died so that we could have that access, that is pride at its highest of heights it is rejecting the blood-bought salvation that comes in Christ he goes on to describe how these false teachers came to this knowledge this this great understanding he says Taking his stand on visions he has seen. Hmm. Inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. This is all about that person, that that false teacher. Well, I had a vision. I had a have we ever heard heard that lead up to some major heresy? Yeah. Go back to Branham. He might have had some good beginnings, but near the end of his life, it was all about his visions and his prophecies, not the Word of God. You can go to many, many people who claim to be prophets or apostles today. And they all go back to, well, I had a vision. You can't deny that. Well, we didn't see it. Obviously, it was just for me. So you have to take them at, well, what about Joseph Smith? He had a vision. So we all need to go jump on the Book of Mormon and and start reading that because he had a vision. Muhammad. Muhammad. He had a vision in a cave, and guess what his wife said? I think those are demons. Literally, that's what she said. And he ignored her, unfortunately. But there are many people who are following false religions because some guy or some woman said, I had a vision. Don't believe it just because they had a vision. I'm not saying that believers can't have visions because they do, and Scripture promises that. But just because they said they have a vision doesn't mean they're walking with God. We need to check and recheck what they are saying through the Word of God. We need to be men and women of the Word. Because if we are found in God's Word, we will... Have our antennae up because the Holy Spirit will be reminding us of what we've read. Oh, they said that? Uh, that, that doesn't check with what Paul said here and, and Jesus said there. This is why, as believers, we must be very careful what we receive. Because the devil would love for us to go running after some vision. But in his visions, he, he inflates himself. Oh, look, God gave me a vision. Guess who else can give you a vision? Satan. How many of you have had a bad dream? All of us, right? You think that was from the Lord? No, it was from the devil. If the devil can give us bad dreams, why wouldn't he be able to give us bad visions? That seem somewhat right, but because we didn't check it against God's word, we are not only led astray, but we lead those who listen to us astray. It's like many of these these uh, people that it seems God's blessing was on them early on. John G. Lake, um, even Branham, uh, other other faith healers and and people like that. They started off well, but there was a point in their 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 walk. And their ministry that suddenly it became about them. There was a point in which they departed from the faithful old and true path. And they began to blaze a new trail. But that trail did not lead to heaven. And they were taking everybody they could with them. you, You can't go that way. That won't take you to heaven. They're disqualifying people. It's like they're... In a marathon. If you've ever seen one or ran in one. It's like they're standing at a at a Y in the road and they're saying, That's the way to heaven. You gotta go that way. When reality, to win the race, you gotta go the other way. How how upset would you be if you're a marathon runner and somebody who had all the official garb on was just a fan. And they were deciding to see how many people they could trick into going the wrong way. What if you were running the race and you were doing well? I mean, you had a great time. You were running like seven-minute miles, which for me is pretty fast. <laughs> there was one time in my life I could run that, but not anymore. Way back in the past. So you're running a seven-minute mile, and you're just doing really great, and you get to the crossroads, and you have to decide, this, guy, this person standing there, you're going, go that way! And you're like, well, they, they've got all the right stuff on. But my, I remember looking at the map and it said to go this way. So what are you going to do? Are you going to believe the person who's posing as an umpire? Posing as a, a guide? Or are you going to believe the map that you looked at before the race so you would make sure you knew the right, the right route? Well, that's the Christian walk for you. There are people at every crossroad trying to convince you and I that we're on the wrong path. That there's a better way. And I want to tell you, as Paul says, don't be disqualified. Don't let others disqualify you by leading you astray. Because it's all about their pride and self-centeredness. It's all about them they're trying to build a name for themselves the problem is what we see in verse 19 because it's all about them it says in verse 19 it says and not holding fast to the head not holding fast the head. It's as though they're relinquishing the head. Who's the head? Paul's already said it here, right? Jesus Christ. Is he the head or not? We We think, oh, I just cut the head off and I'll be okay. See how long that lasts. You might get a few, couple movements, just like when you cut a chicken's head off. But eventually, everything that is controlled by our brain ceases to function i've been reading a book on embodiment i know it sounds super interesting to you <laughs> but it's a christian book talking about how god created us in our bodies like our bodies when we die in a new earth, and and we or we are taken up with christ We don't become bodiless. We have new bodies. Glorified bodies is what it says. There's no time from the time that we're born, or the time we're conceived, to eternity that we aren't embodied. God created us with the bodies we have. And if we try to disembody ourselves to change who we are physically, you know, all this transgender and, and things like that, does that change us? It affects us at all levels of our spiritual, mental, and, and emotional being. God made us with the bodies we have so that we could glorify Him best. You say, well, what does that have to do with this? Well it's as though we are just saying, you know, we don't need that part of our body. That that's useless. Could you imagine somebody just saying, "You know what? I don't like the way my brain works. I'm just going to take it out. I don't need that anymore." It doesn't work, right? Because your brain sends signals. It tells my hands to move, it tells my feet to move. It tells it it sends Nutrients throughout my body, it's the it's the computer of my 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 body that God has given me. If that makes sense. Right? It's it's God created me with all that I am, and I need my head, or it's useless. Why do you think David cut Goliath's head off? He wanted to make sure Goliath did not live. Once the head was severed, Goliath would not live. If we sever ourselves from the head, which is Jesus Christ, we individually and we as a body will die. There is no church that will survive if Christ is not the head of that church. Because the church is His body. It's not our body. I know we... Use that language, well, that's my church. I say that too, so. But as Christians, we are the body of Christ. And as as a, a special local church, we are the body of Christ. And he says, they're not holding fast to the body from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with growth which is from God. I use this this picture because this is just one example of the human body, all the ligaments and the joints that are held together. But without the head, it doesn't matter how many ligaments and joints we have in our body. There are nearly 30 ligaments just in our feet and ankles. Isn't that crazy? So... There's all this just in our ankles, but without the head, it doesn't matter. The head provides, what does Paul say here? He says, being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments. So whether the joints have a a particular function, one is distributing Nutrition, life to the body. We know that blood is a part of that, and Paul's not being specific. But it's interesting how well Paul understood the body. But being held together by the joints and ligaments. But this is how the church is held together. As If we are in Christ, if He is the head of this church, then we will be supplied spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally as a church, and will be held together, unified. It's only when we're in Christ that we can be unified. If we sever ourselves from Christ as the head, then the body no longer has anything to be unified over. Because our unifying principle is Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is the the whole reason we're here, I believe. Is that why we're here? Or or are we uh, into Buddha now? No, we're not. Okay, good. We're not here because we follow a different religion. We're here because we follow Jesus Christ. We want to serve Him. He is the head of our life, the head of this church. But the moment that we decide, eh, I don't need Jesus anymore, I don't don't need him, or I don't want that Jesus, you know, it's all about my Jesus, the Jesus that speaks my truth. This is real. I saw a theological book titled. This is my truth. Hmm, I'm not even willing to read that book. <laughs> Any person that can put that on their title and think that that's going to lead a, a, a strong Christian believer to read it. Unfortunately, there are a lot of immature believers who will read it and be like, "Oh man, this is so good. And be led astray. Why? Because they haven't held fast to the head. Maybe they haven't even been discipled. Maybe they've never actually had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the people that were sharing Jesus with them weren't held onto the head either. But when we are held to Christ, what happens? What happens when we are being supplied and held together through the head? Now look at this. It's a picture of growth. But the growth doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Right? Because he says, grows with a growth which is from God. Whitefoot says this. He says, The finite is truly united to the infinite. The end which the false teachers strove in vain to accomplish is attained. When we make Christ our head, guess what? We have direct relationship with the infinite creator of the heavens and the earth. Isn't that incredible? It's not about some special knowledge. It's not about man's wisdom or or following a certain set of food laws and and drink laws and, and, okay, this festival and that day. No, it's about relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we holding fast to Him? Are we being disqualified because we're not holding fast to what we know? Because that's what ha- is happening here in Colossae. They knew Jesus. They know Jesus. They were running well. But they got disqualified. Some of them are being disqualified. And he's warning them, don't be disqualified. Because Jesus is everything. Hold fast to Him. It's interesting. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16... Paul says this, he says from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we see this this whole picture here. Paul is very concerned here in the book of Colossae that they are leaving Christ. They're They're disconnecting themselves from the head. In Ephesians, the problem is there's disunity in the church. So he has a very similar picture. But in Ephesians, he's dealing with the fact that they are disunified. There's division going on. And so there's the, the two parts for us as a body that we need to hold fast to Christ, but then we need to be unified and held together. We each supply those joints. If if Mr. Gillery decides he doesn't want to supply, then we start falling apart. If if I stop, if I decide, well, this isn't worth it anymore. I'm just going to relax. Then the same thing. We all have a role in the church. We are all called to be participants in the church. Not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. To be praying for one another. To maybe call one another. Spend time in one another's homes. To, to be there for one another. To, to open our homes to one another. But our growth will only come from God. but we have to be connected to the head. We can't set it aside. We can't relinquish what God has given us in Christ Jesus. If we are in Him, then we will find victory. We will be unified. We will finish the race. When we stand before Him, He will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Not because we didn't in our own strength, but because we were found in Christ. When He found the ledger that showed all our sin, guess what? Jesus Christ was written there. He wiped it all away. He cleansed us from all sin. And so if we are found in Christ, then we don't... That doesn't mean that the church, again, going back to this this picture of a judge and an umpire Jesus Christ is the judge he is the umpire he is the definer of whether we make it or not not whatever was it William Branham? is that his first name? I can't remember his first Yeah, William Branham doesn't determine if I go to heaven Jesus Christ does or whoever these, these false teachers are It doesn't matter if they have apostle in front of their name or prophet or evangelist or pastor or whatever. PhD. Men do not determine whether we win the prize. Christ does. The question is, who are we following? Because if we follow Anyone other than Christ? If Christ is not our final and ultimate source, if we don't see Him as our reality, then we won't win the prize. We'll be disqualified by Him because we listened to false teachers who claimed to have the authority to judge us or to disqualify us from the race. Let's pray. Father, I pray our lives would be ordered by you. I pray that you would expose in us, Lord, those areas of our lives where we have submitted ourselves to the teaching of men and not to Christ. Lord, open our eyes to areas of pride in our life where we think we're being humble, but in reality, Lord, you are calling us to humble ourselves under your hand. Give us discernment, I pray, in this day and age when so many false doctrines are filling the streets of our nation. Give us courage to stand against the lies that Christ is not enough. Help us to be found in Him. To stand in the power of Christ. To be in our position in Him. Seeing who He has made us. Lord, I pray that our lives would worship You. Not just Sunday but every day of the week. Help us submit ourselves to who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.